Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the group's resident here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. And so whether you've been following Jesus your whole life or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by his word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in him. Right. Good morning, Frontline. It has been a while. Uh, man, it is good to see you guys again. Um, so uh, welcome. If you're joining with us online, welcome. It is so good to be back with you again. Uh, it's been a while since I've been here, so if you're newer to Frontline, uh, my name is Brian, and this is actually, I haven't been here since May. This is the first time I'm actually joining you in, in this new role, uh, serving as a senior pastor of the Zero Collective. I, you may not know this, but Frontline is a part of this family of churches called the Zero uh, Collective, part of this network in the greater Grand Rapids area. And I just want to say, uh, coming back here after not being here for, for a while, I am blown away at the job that David and the team, our staff team, have done here over the last several months. Yeah. I don't know, uh, if you've been a part of Frontline for a long time like me, I, I hope you sense the same way I'm sensing that it's a new day. God has, uh, you know, turned the page. There's a new chapter and the Holy Spirit is moving in fresh and powerful ways here. Uh, I hope you sense it. This is an incredible time to be a part of this church in, in this season. And so I'm thrilled you're here. I'm thrilled to be back with you. Uh, my wife, Carrie, and I and our families uh, attend Frontline. This is, uh, we, we still consider this home, um, even though I, I'm not going to be here as much. Our family still attends here, and so we're thrilled to be back with you. And actually, I'm thrilled to be here on uh, the Sunday where we, we talk about our Ucro partnership. Uh, because uh, my wife and I, we actually helped to launch that partnership when I was serving as the lead pastor of Frontline. And um, we've been to, uh, to Ucro. Carrie and I both have been. Our, our son, John, has been with me to Ucro. We've seen the care point, and we've seen the incredible impact that it's making in the community and the lives of these kids and families there. But not only that, over the years, we've seen the impact that, that this partnership has made on our church and on those of us who, who have been able to sponsor a child and to partner and even go on take trips and, and be a part of some of these projects that have happened. So I hope you will take that seriously. There's an awesome opportunity right there in the lobby uh, to look at those uh, cards and pictures. Uh, 24 kids, let, uh, we're not done until those 24 kids, until uh, there's zero kids unsponsored, right? <laughs> okay, so we're going after that. Anyway, it's good to be back with you for week number two of this series we're working through at all four Zero Collective churches. It's called Life Together. We're talking about the power of biblical community this month, the power and the impact that it has on our lives when we step into community. And so I'll just begin with this question. Have you ever pretended to be something that you're not? Have you, have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've even been tempted to pretend to be something that you were not? That social pressure hits and you've got to kind of pretend. Uh, Pastor Mariah and Cody Mahaffey we just do such an incredible job, both of them here on our staff. They're actually expecting um, their first child here this next month, in the month of October. So we're so excited for them. Yeah, which is going to be awesome. Mariah, uh, she's in charge of our student ministries. And so uh, when, when Mariah was still new on our staff, like we didn't know each other very well yet. I remember one day I was like passing her in, in the office right here at, at Frontline. And I noticed she was wearing a Rolling Stones t-shirt. Now, I love all kinds of music, but I especially love classic rock. And so when I saw this t-shirt that she was wearing, I was like, oh, you're a Rolling Stones fan too? I love the Rolling Stones too. And I just start talking about the Rolling Stones. And as I'm talking and talking, I notice she's just got this look of terror on her face. Like, 
And I, I don't pick up on social cues real fast, so I just kept talking. And so she interrupts me. She goes, uh, Pastor Brian, I've got to tell you, I have no idea who these guys are. I don't, I don't even know a single song by them. I couldn't, name, I couldn't tell you anything about the band. She said, my mom and I were out shopping, and my mom likes the Rolling Stones, and so she saw the shirts. She was like, oh, we should get matching T-shirts. So we got matching T-shirts. But then I noticed, like, you know, people thought the shirt was cool, and they kept complimenting me. It was kind of a cool youth pastor thing to do. She said, so I've just been wearing the shirt ever since. And I was, I was blown away at how honest she was. Like, that, that most people would just pretend, right, and would just kind of go along, but she was totally real about it. And so I just said, wow, thank you, Mariah, for being so honest. You know, Mariah, you can't always get what you want. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. And when I said that, she went, wow, thanks, Brian. That's really deep. I, I am a man of wealth and taste. What can I say? For the re next week, I just kept quoting lyrics to her. She had no idea what I was saying. It was awesome. Best part of that story, I asked Mariah if I could use her as an example for this. And she said, oh, yeah, it gets even better. My mom and I went out, and we bought a Rolling Stones onesie for the baby when the baby comes. So next month, that child is going to know no Rolling Stones songs at all. It's going to be very sad. But why do we do this? Why, why do we feel social pressure to pretend to be something that we're not? Have you ever wondered that? I, I think the reason is because... Deep down, we all want to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We, we all long to belong, if that makes sense. We, we long to join our individual identities to a larger communal identity that's bigger than ourselves. This is why, over the summer, many of you dressed up like Barbie. <laughs> and you went to the movie theater and you handed your friends a phone so they could take a picture of you in a giant plastic box. I got back from sabbatical. I was like, I got back on social media after not being, I was like, wonder what my friends have been up to. Oh, they've been Barbie the whole summer. That's what they've been doing, apparently. This is why uh, lots of women dressed up in the different Taylor Swift costumes for the years and, and went to the eras tour. There's something about us we long to belong. This is why men, uh, don't worry, I didn't forget about you. <laughs> now that it's college football season, lots of men will, will do things like, you know, they'll paint their fat bellies maize and blue and they will drive to the big house so they can scream in the stands, right? There's something about this. We, we long to belong. And by the way, no judgment if you've done any of those things. I've done stuff like that too. Not the, the belly thing, but anyway. Yeah, we, we've all done stuff like that where, where we, we long to belong, we long to fit in. And the reason the Bible tells us is because that's the way we were made. That's the way we were originally designed and created. We looked at this last week when we started this series. The Bible opens with this God who is a creator God in the book of Genesis and he's creating the heavens and the earth. He creates everything and he creates this perfect utopia, this perfect world where everything, the Garden of Eden, is exactly the way God designs it to be. And he puts Adam, the first man there, in the Garden of Eden. And the creation account is kind of this refrain over and over again. And it just keeps saying, and God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He, every time he creates something, he saw that it was good. And finally, in Genesis 2, 18, you find the first thing in all the story of Scripture where God found something was not good. It says it was not good for the man to be alone. It was not good for man to be alone. And we know this. There's something inside of each of us. We understand we were made for community. We were made to belong, to join our lives to something larger than ourselves. That's why we, we long to belong. 
And from there, uh, the Bible goes on a little further, and, and it tells the story of how God created Eve, the first woman, and it describes the kind of relationship they had together with each other. But what I want you to see is in this verse, when it describes, it, it doesn't just describe the first marriage relationship, it also describes the first human relationships that existed. And, and so look at this. Uh, this is Genesis 2.25. It says, Adam and his wife were both what? Naked. That's right. You can say that word in church. It's in the Bible. It's okay. You can say it. They were both naked and they felt no shame, right? So it's this picture. No one was hiding. No one was uh, playing mind games. No one was pretending to be something they, they were not. They were just real. They were just vulnerable. In fact, that, that Hebrew word for the, uh, naked is the word eram. We've talked about this before. It, it, it means much more than just physically naked like our English word means. It means they were vulnerable. They were honest. They were real with one another. They were completely transparent. Another way to say it, go ahead to that next slide. They were fully known and they were fully loved. That, that would be a great way to describe the way that God originally designed us to operate. They were fully known. Everything about them was fully known. They're completely Aram, naked. And at the same time, they had no shame. They were fully loved. And this is what we still long for. Every human being. We long for that. And so things break down from there. If you follow the storyline, the next thing that happens in the story of humanity, the story of Scripture, is Adam and Eve sin. They break covenant with God. They break relationship. And the relationship between God and people is damaged. And sin damages the relationship between human beings and each other. This is Genesis 3-7, the next verse that happens right after sin enters the world and disobedience happens. It says, Then the eyes of both of them, Adam and Eve, were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so this is sort of like the invention of clothing, right? Have you ever thought like fig leaves, of course, that, that was a way to hide from one another. That was a way to cover up and to hide. But in a sense, it was also a way to fit in too, wasn't it? It was a way to make yourself acceptable, a way to be accepted by, by other people. That's really what it was. Fig leaves... We're the, we're the beginning of a lie that we've believed ever since. And the lie basically is, if, if I were fully known, if, if everything about me was fully known, there's no way I would ever be fully loved. If I was fully known, I could not be fully loved. And, and that's the beginning of the story of creation, and that's where everything falls apart. And so if you look at even just our stories today as human beings, we continue, the, the fig leaf and the lie that, man, if I was fully known, there's no way I could be fully loved, continues to play itself out in our relationships today. And this is how it works. Uh, the way that this, sort of this whole thing has impacted our relationships is that now every relationship that we have as human beings, we have these sort of like dance steps uh, that, that we follow. So every relationship you have, marriage, parenting, friends, even, even people you would call your close friends, there's sort of these like dance steps. In other words, like you move here, and I move here. This is the way I dance, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you move right, I move left. Or you bring up that thing I'm ashamed of. I bring up that thing you're ashamed of. You know, you blow up at me. I shut down and I give you the silent treatment. You know, you ask me how I'm doing. And I just say, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm always fine. There's never a time where I'm not fine. Even if you're not fine. 
We have these kind of like well-worn dance steps that we walk down to just sort of hide, but also to make us ourselves presentable and help us fit in in every way we possibly can. Carrie and I, my wife and I, we've been, we just celebrated 25 years of marriage, which is an incredible thing. And we're so uh, thankful for that. Yeah. But Carrie would tell you too, she, if she was right up here with me, uh, we've discovered after, it's taken us about 25 years to figure this out, but we don't have different fights in our marriage. We just have the same fight over and over and over again. Can anybody else relate to that? Like it sort of like takes different forms, but if you think about it, it's like, oh wait, this is just the same fight over and over and over again. Because we have dance steps. We have these familiar kind of pathways that we walk down. We, you say this, I say this, and we just find ourselves in the same ruts, the same places. It's not just with our marriages, though. Several years ago, my family and I, we were taking a vacation to Florida, and so we're in the van, our 2007 Honda Odyssey that my wife will not get rid of, and, and we were driving it to Florida. My, our four boys are in the back, and they're young, and, and we started to notice as we were driving along that our, our boys would always come to carry first for anything that they needed. And we were noticing this because it was annoying her. I mean, all the time, they're just like, Mom, Mom, Mom. And she's like, why don't you ever ask your father? He's right here. And so we're driving. And so I said to my boys, guys, it seems like you always go to Mom first. And they're like, oh, yeah, we always ask Mom first, Dad. We never go to you first. And I was like, why? Do you guys think I'm mean or something? And they, in the back seat, they're all like, well, no, we don't, it's not that you're mean, Dad. It's, just, it's that you're... Uh, what's the word for it? You're not mean. You're just, uh, finally, our oldest son, Alan, said, harsh. And, and our second son, Andrew, goes, yeah, harsh. That's it. And they all just kind of chime in like, yeah, dad, that's it. You're not mean. You're just, you're just harsh. Can I tell you? I don't want to be harsh. That's not the word I want my boys to think of, right? When they, when they remember me. Yeah, my dad, my dad. He, yeah, he was harsh. And from that moment, sitting there in the, in the driver's seat driving, it was like, oh, something needs to change here. The, the dance steps. Jesus, will you help me change the dance steps? I want my boys to feel like they can come to me with anything. And, and no matter what, they're going to be fully known in that moment, and they're going to be fully loved. And, and so... The problem is, if we want true community where we can be part of something larger than ourselves, where we are truly fully known and fully loved, the dance steps have to change. We have to change the ways that in which we interact with one another. But how do you change? I'll tell you this, from that moment sitting there in the driver's seat, I was like, I got to change this. And so I started to pray and I began to say, God, help me. I want to change this. And I began to work on myself. I began to try not to be so harsh when they would come to me with stuff that was super annoying. I would try to be like not harsh and kind and loving. And can I just tell you, once I was aware of it and I started working on it, I actually became more harsh. Seriously. It was like so discouraging. But then now that I, I'm, I'm more harsh, but I, I'm aware of how harsh I'm being because it's been pointed out to me. So now I feel even worse about myself. It was awful. It, it, it almost seems that way. If, if all you do is you try to work on yourself, if you try to change your dance steps by just going, okay, I'm going to buckle down and work on this aspect of my life and try to change, it's amazing how awful we are at actually changing. <laughs> we can't change ourselves most of the time. Nothing changes in our relationships. In fact, in some ways, oftentimes it gets worse. But I'm here to tell you today, and the point of this whole message is to tell you, your Heavenly Father wants you to know that it is possible to change your dance steps Friendships can get better. Marriages can get better. 
The relationships that we have with one another in the body of Christ don't have to be divided. They can get better. There, a change is absolutely possible, and we can experience community with one another, but there's a key. And so I'm going to give you kind of like the one-liner. It's the main idea that we're talking about this morning, and it is the key to any sort of real change in relationships. And then I'm going to spend the rest of the time we have uh, here just unpacking this statement and helping you see it and understand it. But this is the statement. It's not in looking more deeply at ourselves, but at Christ that we change. You can look at yourself all you want. You, when we look more deeply at ourselves and we try harder to change things about ourselves, it's hardly ever fruitful. It's really not until we really gaze upon the beauty of Christ. That's really the only way we're changed. How many of you know uh, what this is? Go ahead to that next slide, if you will. The Enneagram. How many of you have heard of that? Just kind of raise your hand if you've heard of the Enneagram. Okay, way less of you than I thought. This, this thing has taken over the church world. People in the church talk about the Enneagram all the time. If you don't know, it's, a, it's a, like a personality tool. It's a, it's a way to kind of understand these nine different personality types that we all kind of fit into one or another. And actually, this tool has its roots uh, in a couple hundred years of church history where it began. And it's a wonderful tool. You know, there these different kind of nine types, and there's like a test you can take, and you learn about it. People in the church are, uh, the last few years have been obsessed with the Enneagram. Our staff has all taken it all throughout the Zero Collective. Like we, it's, it's a great tool for helping you to be fully understood, to understand yourself a little bit better. We want to know our number because we want to know who we are, and then we want to be able to communicate so other people see us and know who, who we are, which is great. But, but let's just be very, very, very clear. This is a tool for looking more deeply at yourself, right? It's a tool for allowing you to look more deeply at here's who I am, here's how I'm wired, and so other people can see, and that's great, but that won't change you. That won't change anything. Looking more deeply at yourself won't change you. In fact, what a lot of times people are, are, do with the Enneagram is they, they don't just use the Enneagram to explain themselves, they use the Enneagram to excuse themselves, right? It's like, well, I, you know, the reason I yelled at that person in that meeting was because I'm an eight. No, it's because you're a jerk. That's why you yelled at them in the meeting, right? A tool like this is wonderful to, to help you be a little bit more fully known, but looking more deeply at yourself will never change you. But there is hope. I want to show you four different scriptures. We're just going to go through these four passages, and frankly, uh, they're, they're all in the New Testament. I could have given you 10 scriptures. Just, uh, this is just everywhere you look in the New Testament. And so we're going to look at these verses one by one. I want you to see if you can pick up a pattern. There's a pattern here to these verses, and it's, hopefully you'll, you'll be able to see it as we go through it. So this, the first one is Ephesians 4.32. It says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Next one. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. You starting to pick up a pattern here? Next one. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then. It doesn't say affirm one another in what everyone believes, but accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And then lastly, the words of Jesus himself, talking to his disciples, John 13, Jesus says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. What's interesting is uh, scholars say that actually 
love, go love each other is actually not a new command. That was not a new command when Jesus said it. It, it. It's already been in the Bible. What was new about this command when Jesus gave it to his disciples was, as I have loved you, that's how you're supposed to love others. That's the part of it that was new. I, I could have gone on and on. You know, 1 John 4 talks about how like, the only reason we even know what love is is because Jesus loved us first. So with each of these verses, the, what the gospel tells us is that the power to bear with one another, the power to forgive one another, the power to accept one another, the power to love one another comes from our having a direct experience with knowing that Jesus knew all of my sin. He bore all of my sin on the cross. He forgave me for my sin, and then he accepted me in his love. That's the gospel message. And because of that, what that means is I am fully known, and I am fully loved. In a relationship with Jesus Christ is the only place in our world since the fall of humanity till now where we can truly experience that, being fully known and fully loved. The thing that is at the core of every single one of us, the thing we want the most, we experience only in Christ. Think about that. Jesus knows absolutely everything about you. Everything. And he still loves you completely. Let that sink in. The person who matters the most knows the most about you. The person whose judgment is all important for all of eternity knows all about you. And he loves you completely and totally. That he gave his life up for you. That he sacrificed himself on the cross so that you could be brought, back, brought near. What this also means, kind of the inverse of this, is it means when you, you meet a Christian brother or sister who cannot forgive another brother and sister in Christ, who cannot show love, who cannot accept another person, who cannot bear with another person in love, what that means is that that Christian brother or sister in Christ, they might have the term Christian, but they actually have not experienced yet the overwhelming, overpowering love of Jesus. They haven't had that experience yet where they have allowed him to be, to allow them to be fully known and fully loved. And therefore, that person is still believing the lie that if I was fully known, there's no way I'd be loved. If you believe that about yourself, that man, if I was fully known, there's no way God could ever love me. There's no way you can extend that to anyone else. And you just keep going down the same path. You just keep doing the same dance steps. And things continue to crumble. What the gospel tells us is that you are fully loved even though he knows all about it. The, go the gospel says to those of us sitting in this section, he knows all about the abortion. And he still loves you completely. The, go the gospel tells us that for all the people sitting in this section, for all the people watching online, he knows all about the pornography habit. He knows your internet history. And he loves you completely. The, the gospel tells us for all the people sitting in this section over here, he knows all about the ways you failed your family. And he loves you completely. There's not an ounce of shame. He loves you completely in that. 
That's the gospel. We are fully known and we are fully loved. I have a good friend. Uh, he and his wife have four children, but one of their children uh, is a, a girl that they adopted when she was six years old. So she was a part of the foster care system, came to their home, and they eventually ended up adopting them, uh, adopting her as their daughter. And her years before she came into their home uh, were filled with abandonment and trauma and abuse. And my friend told me that like when his daughter, when she got to be in her teenage years, she started doing this thing where she would come to him and she would ask these questions. And it was always like a different form of the same question. And here's how the question went. She would come to him and she would say, Dad, if I went out and got drunk, what would you do? The next time it'd be, Dad, if I tried heroin, what, what would you do? Dad, Dad if, if I got pregnant, what would you do? And every single time she would ask one of these questions, the dance step he would use is he would tell like some kind of a dad joke to kind of dismiss it. Like, well, I guess I'd have to give you extra chores. That's what I do. He'd just say some stupid, you know, line or whatever to kind of dismiss it. He said, one day we were riding in the car and she, she says to me, you know, one of those things, dad, if I got pregnant, what would you do? And he gave his typical line. He just dismissed it with some kind of a joke. And he said, right in that moment, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit just prompted his, his spirit, not like in an audible voice, but the Holy Spirit just said to him, do you realize what she's actually asking? And he said in an instant, he knew exactly the answer. What she was asking was, if I did the worst and you knew about it, would you still love me? Because there has been a long history of people in her life who didn't. The answer was no, and they left. And so he said the next time she came to him with one of those questions, Dad, what would you do if I, whatever? He said he changed the dance step. And he looked her in the eye. And he said, I want you to listen to me very closely. If you did that, I would be devastated. I'd be so disappointed but I would still love you and you would still be my daughter. And he said from that moment on, she never asked one of those questions again. Just never, never came up again. I, I tell you that because that's the same question all of us are asking with our lives, isn't it? If I did the worst and it was known by everybody, would I still be loved? The answer to that question can only come from our Heavenly Father through the gospel of Jesus Christ that tells us that when we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus, we become fully known. We already are fully known, but we become fully loved. And you can't help but gaze upon the person of Christ deeply at him and what he's done for you and not be changed. It just changes you when you look at Christ. And so as we turn this toward ourselves and we begin to ask the question, you know, even just in our lives, where, where does this land for us? The question I want us to ask is just what dance steps need to change? As you look at your life, do you look at the relationships of your life? What dance steps need to change? Maybe, um, you know, we had a whole bunch of you sign up for small groups last week, which is an amazing thing. Maybe you're living a life in isolation where you really don't have any close friends because you've believed the lie that, man, if I was truly known, there's no way I'd be loved. And so whenever someone asks you a question, how are you doing? How, how are things going? Your dance step is, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm always fine. And you're not fine 
What dance steps need to change? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's in your relationship with your kids. Maybe it's, maybe it's with somebody in this church who you've got a broken relationship with that you need to go to. And it's not about making, you know, solving the issue between you. It's about restoring the relationship, changing the dance step to restore the relationship. What dance steps need to change? Those places, if you can identify that, whatever God is putting his finger on right now for you, that's a place where Jesus, he doesn't want to bring condemnation. He doesn't want to bring shame. He doesn't want to bring guilt. He wants to bring his healing. He wants to bring his joy. He wants to bring his presence, his forgiveness into that situation. And the only way you get there is by looking at his love for you. For me, the whole harshness thing, uh, and by the way, I'm not perfect with that. There are still times where I'm just really harsh to my boys, but I I would say it's changed a lot from that time to this time. And and I'll tell you, the harshness thing did not change for me because I tried harder and harder to work on myself to just be less harsh. It's begun to change in me as I began to get in touch with my own inner dialogue. Because here's the reason I'm harsh to, to my family in moments like that is because my own inner dialogue, I'm very harsh with myself. When I began to realize that when I come to Jesus, he's not harsh. He's gentle. He's loving. He's way more easy on me than I am on myself. And when I began to let his love affect me, and that began to be the source, that began to be the place I began to live my life out of, you can't help but change. You just do. When you gaze deeply at the person of Jesus, you can't walk away and not be changed. Where, where does change need to happen? So community can get built. Where do you long to belong, to be fully known and fully loved and to, and to be in an, a, a, an environment like that, but it's not happening? The only way we change, the only way that changes is when we gaze on the beauty of the cross, of what Jesus did for us, his love for us. So the way we're going to close this morning is exactly that. We're going to do exactly that together. Uh, In these next two songs that we're going to sing, we're just going to spend time gazing fully at his love for us. As we sing the words to this song, as we sing these words, just let these words flow over you. Don't just let them be like things that you just sing because it's the thing to do to sing. Actually sing them. Actually let them in to your mind, into your heart. Let's just spend the next couple minutes gazing on the beauty of Jesus and his love for us that has the power to change us. Would you stand with me in the room? We're gonna say a word of prayer before we jump in. So Jesus, right now we just come to you and we just recognize any attempt on our part uh, to change so that we can be loved is you know, a whole lot of striving and effort and work and total failure. Any attempt we make, God, to try to belong by pretending to be something we're not, by try, pretending to fit in, or by working harder on ourselves to change so that we can behave better. God, we just come to you and just recognize those efforts are futile. Some of us in this room were worn out from those efforts. We're exhausted. We can't keep doing it. So we need you, Jesus. We only know what love is because you first loved us. You, you, you invite us to love each other as you loved us. And so this morning, we just say, Jesus, would you remind us again of your love for us? We want to gaze deeply again at you and who you are and how you have reached out to us, even when we were unlovable, and that in you, we can be fully known. We can be fully loved. 
and we can belong. And so God, would you allow us, as we experience that, to be agents of change in our world for others to experience that. We ask this in the risen and resurrected name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com slash next. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.